Welcome, everyone. Um, thanks for joining on the Whole Body Podcast. Today I'm speaking with Dr Suresh, who has kindly given us some of his time all the way from Queensland. Um, we're going to discuss things like erythritol, um, the carnivore, ribeye steaks, um, health journeys, and uh, all the good things that are involved with looking after your body and keeping yourself well. So welcome, Dr Suresh. How are you today? Thank you very much, Linda. Pleasure to be here. Uh, I am very well today, actually. Thank you. How are you today? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I've had a busy one, but it's nice to wind down and just um, spend some time chatting with like-minded people, I find, at the end of the day. So tell mm. me about your um, journey into the real food health space. How has that been? What has it felt like? What have you noticed? Sure. I mean, uh, do you want the short version or the, the long version? Whichever you like, whichever <laughs> feels more comfortable and pretty cruisy. Okay. So, I mean, the, the short version is, is I mean, really, I've always wanted to to do this kind of work, um, you know, really from, from the early days, you know, I've been encouraged to try and look at patients, you know, prescribing, uh, de-prescribe where possible and try and think of a, a better way, you know, of, of, of doing things. Um, the long version is uh yeah basically this kind of you know started i think in medical school uh, i was very fortunate i had very good uh teachers in medical school back in england mm. um nutrition training is something we really don't get in medical school and uh, that will surprise some people and it mm. also won't it probably won't surprise many uh, i heard it was about two units is that right like two lessons or Oh, if that, I mean, my probably had about five minutes. Yeah, basically. Um, all, all I can remember anyway from medical school nutrition training was, you know, uh, 449, you know, carbohydrates and protein, four grams, uh, four calories per gram and, and fat was nine calories per gram. Um, even that isn't entirely accurate. So that's pretty much the extent of the nutritional training we get. It's very, very, very low. Um so that's when it kind of started. I had, I had very good teachers. And I remember my first uh, epidemiology uh, lectures, my statistics was uh, a very, very great gentleman. Uh, and uh, he basically said, you know, I'm going to teach you all this stuff. And then at the end of the lesson, he pretty much said, right, well, everything I taught you was a lie. Uh, do not do not trust anything. You know, do not trust papers. Do not trust, you know, what you read. Wow. Read details. Learn for yourself we will give you the tools to actually investigate and learn and so on. And I've always, you know, I've always remembered that. Um, and then I kind of, you know, learned through medical school, of course. Unfortunately, the medical school system really just teaches you how to pass exam. Um, it doesn't even really yeah. teach you how to prescribe medications, yeah. really. It just yeah. teaches you how to pass the wow. exams. Uh, and then early days in, in junior doctor land, you know, really then all you're doing is learning how to prescribe medications uh, follow the guidelines do those prescriptions you, you can't think for yourself if you if you do where well, you haven't got time and b you don't really know what you're doing and c you'll get into trouble if you deviate you know, from the guidelines so really all it does is teaches you to follow what everybody else does do what you're told to do be be a good little boy and prescribe those medications but again thankfully i had very very good teachers and uh, i did two um, uh, geriatrics placements actually as a junior doctor um I remember at the time thinking, oh, great, I've got another one, you know, doing my GP training. But I was very lucky actually to have both. And I had different teachers each time, different consultants leading me. And, and they were amazing. And I, I learned very early on the power of stopping medications and the oh, power cool. of just thinking about 
what is this medication doing to your patient? And I think there's nowhere that's really more prevalent that that's an issue as in the elderly population. Um, So very, very early on, I learned, okay, we need to really look at what we're actually doing. Look at the whole person. Don't just look at the prescriptions. Look at the whole person. Look at the reductionist view, the holistic, the whole person. That's it. Absolutely. When they would, they would, when they would come in to take, you know, you'd see the the ED staff and stuff, uh, you know, writing down their medications, their drug history, their allergies, et cetera, you know, and then we would go and see them and say, okay, how many stairs do you have in your house? Yeah. You know, do you use a walking stick or do you use a frame? Do you yeah. have a hearing aid? Do you have rugs in your house that you can trip over? You know, yeah. yes, the drugs are important, of course, but these other aspects are important. So really from the very, very early uh, stage of my career, I actually got, got a good grounding in that. And that really set me up for life. So I've always... Is that, pretty, is that a pretty different aspect than most um, medical students would receive? Is that a different yeah, perspective probably. to take? Yeah, cool. Yeah, a, a, lot of, a lot are just not going to get that that kind of teaching, that training. Um, medical school and, and junior doctors, especially in the UK, uh, and it's probably similar here in Australia. I'm sure it's similar in the States as well and the rest of the world. It, it's basically a treadmill. Um, yeah. And yeah. I, I liken it to one of those... Um, you know, like air, airport escalators, yeah. uh, where you're kind of you're not you're not really going up, you're just kind of going along the same level, Wrong. and you get yeah. you get on you get on at one end, and then at some point down the line, you can't even see the end. There's 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 the exit, but you can't get off. Mm. Uh, and if you mm. do, you're kind of you're in no man's land. Basically, you're not sure whether to go forwards or backwards. Uh, and that's kind of like what what medical school is like. And a lot of people liken it to being being on a treadmill. You just got to kind of get to the end, and then you can kind of do what you like. Or what what you might what, what might want to pursue. So really, from a very early stage, I wanted to to do it differently. I wanted to look at the value of of not prescribing. You know, look at the wider aspects, nutrition, you know, and lifestyle, and so on. Um, and I've been kind of you know pursuing this over the years. Um, and the more you do into that area, the more you realize, of course, the impact it can have. Um, mm. I didn't even realize it was even really a specialty. I didn't realize I always thought I was abnormal. I thought there were there was no one else out there like me doing this. Not that I was some genius that knew things that people no, didn't no, no. know. Just a one-man just, band. Yeah, basically. I, well, I'll just do my little corner of the world and, and try and help patients how I can. Um, and then I actually uh, somehow, I don't even remember how, stumbled across uh, last year, a couple of years ago now, uh, lifestyle medicine. And uh, I was I was looking into this and I thought, this is this is basically what I do. Like, there's, there's a name for this. And there's people. Right. <laughs> and there's people that do this. And there's a lot of people that actually do yeah. this, you know, it's a pretty much one of the the biggest, um, it's not really an alternative medicine, but if we call it an alternative, you know, medicine pathway, it's, it's pretty much the biggest now across the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and suddenly there were people out there that did this, you know, did this way of, of working. Um, so I just literally just there and then went, right, I'm going to sign up. I'm going to do my board certification. I want this, this kind of certificate to say that I can, oh, I can cool. do this work. Yeah. Um, and how long was that? How long did it take you to do that? Uh, it didn't take that long um, because I just jumped into it. And I'd been doing this for a long time anyway. So I oh, had a really good grounding. Pretty breezy. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, it wasn't breezy. No. no. Okay. Uh, cool. Was, That's good hard. to know. It was hard. Um, the exam, the exam's hard. Uh, most people pass, but the exam is very, very hard. Um, it's like a four hour exam, I think 300, 400 questions. Oh gosh. Um, you have to do a written okay. case, case study and, That's uh, you know, All right. it, it takes, uh, they, they estimate somewhere between two to 400 hours of learning, 
to do it. I did it in, I think, something like four months. Um, but that I, I was just like every night I was, I was learning at work. I was learning when I came home. Um, it was, it was a, yeah, pretty, pretty concentrated learning. Um, it was interesting because of course, you know, of course, and some of your listeners may know that I am a carnivore, of course, meat eater, don't eat yes. any plants or vegetables. Yeah. Of course, lifestyle medicine, you may know is grounded in whole food plant base. Yes. Yes. So right. uh, okay. I do differ slightly. Yeah. I do differ slightly there. And I do wonder if at some point they might strip my board certification, but I probably wouldn't go that far. No. Um, but I do differ, of course, in that in that respect. But everything else is different. I certainly advocate for whole food. And uh, the other pillars of lifestyle medicine, you know, sleep, mental health, social relationships, substance abuse, uh, stress management, all of these things as well. And of course, diet, nutrition, and exercise. You know, we can all agree these are very, very important things. But um, I find myself now actually moving more in towards the more slightly functional side of things. Um, I think lifestyle medicine is a fantastic framework, but functional medicine is, I think the two things can work very well together. Um, and functional medicine, like lifestyle medicine, is about the kind of trying to get to the core, the core root of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think where lifestyle medicine almost falls down is the, is the the hanging on to the evidence-based medicine. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah, Whereas yeah. Whereas functional medicine is a little bit more, okay, well, we're okay with it not necessarily being evidence-based as long as it works and it's not okay. dangerous. So I'm kind of going more slightly into that, into that territory now. There's been some huge um, shifts and changes in the science regarding food and intake and you know, vegetables and protein and carbs and fat. So you've you've moved more into the carnivore space. So mm. how does that how does that look? What does a carnivore space look like? Uh from a personal perspective or a professional perspective? Um well let's go with personal first. Yeah, then we'll move on to professional. Yeah. yeah that's sure. a good idea. Sure. I mean, for me, my my journey has been a long one. Um, I have had my own health issues like everybody else. Um, I often say doctors are some of the most unhealthy people you'll meet. Uh, do as I say, not as I do is often yeah. a phrase that's utilized. Um, you know, at one point I was, uh, I weighed, my heaviest was about 108 kilograms. Um, what's that, like 240 pounds maybe roughly. And uh, I'm only five foot, you know, eight and a half, five foot nine. Uh, right. My body fat never got it officially measured, but it must have been well over forty-five percent, probably close to fifty percent body fat, um, which is which is a hell of a lot of body fat. Um, I had chronic back pain, you know, gut issues. I mean, similar to a lot of people, heading towards you know type two diabetes, heading towards heart disease. I had these things in my family anyway. Um, I knew these were a problem, and of course, I knew being a being a doctor that you know, I needed to make these changes, but I, I struggled. I couldn't, you know, like everyone else, I just didn't know how yeah. nothing I did really work. You're just a person, right? You're just a human. Exactly. Yeah. And of course I never had any training that, that really helped me at all. Cause I didn't want to just go into drugs and so forth. I knew that wasn't the answer, but I didn't know otherwise what to actually do. Um, but then at some point I just kind of had to do it. It was actually the end of medical school and I just kind of said, right, okay, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. I'm going to die by by the time I'm 40. You know, I just, I just need to, to get this under control. And I pretty much just ate like rice and salmon, like just rice and salmon, basically like three times a day, like brown rice, frozen salmon, three times a day for three months. Like that was literally it. 
so talk about a restrictive diet and carnivore yeah, like gosh. that was that was like literally no variation because i thought this was like the healthiest i could kind of do on my budget and so forth and to be fair like i lost a ton of weight i uh started going to the gym a lot and i yeah i was actually pretty healthy um but then you know over the years um i you know the diet slips and you know you can't keep a diet like that forever no. basically no and nice. and then work and everything so eventually you know of course i put most of the weight back on and then then starts the yo-yo dieting for the next kind of 10 years or so um and then you know eventually i you know i lost a bit of weight again did the lifestyle medicine that reinvigorated me and then i lost a bit more weight put it back on again and so forth and then i had a patient you know one day come in and say right i want to do uh i want to do fasting uh and i said okay yeah great you know intermittent fasting i've never really done it i think it's a fad but yeah sure well, no no he said no, no no i'll do that already no i want to do prolonged fasting i want to do a seven day fast but, wow and okay. I, was, I was kind of like um like what like like you don't want to eat for seven days like you, you're you're gonna die like why, why do you want to do this and he was like no 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 people do it and this guy jason fung he's wrote this book and so on and i was like no this is crazy like you're you're just in the nicest way like no this is crazy can't support this go away and he said no well tough luck you know you're my doctor you're gonna help me uh do some bloods etc so i reluctantly agreed and of course he didn't die he was fine fixed a lot of his health problems and that kind of sparked this thing in me like oh okay maybe i should look into fasting I read this guy's nice. book jason fung very very good book and oh, jason this... fung? yeah yeah, yeah. He's fantastic yeah yeah exactly figured this guy's onto something here um but thought he didn't quite have the whole the whole picture there must be more to it. it can't possibly be just this simple but still, I couldn't quite kind of accept this uh, as, a, as a strategy, you know, for effective long-term health and so on. So, and then eventually this patient came back down the line and said, right now I'm doing carnivore. Right. Wow. And then again, I was Phenomenal. like, dude, yeah. dude, like you're just, you're just going to, like, are you committed to killing yourself? Like, what is wrong with you? Um, your cholesterol, your cholesterol, heart disease, stroke, like yeah. what, you know, like, and he was like, no, I don't believe it. Like, it's not true you know, endothelial uh, hypothesis, you know, Ansel Keys, sugary fresh house foundation yeah, and so yeah, forth. Yeah. I call all the, all the things that I, that we know now, but, um, and eventually, you know, he kind of, uh, convinced me to go along with it and, and monitor him and so forth. And now all of his health issues just disappeared or pretty much. Sure. All of them. And he lost right. a ton of weight, got very, very healthy. And Over a yeah, period still, of time, we're talking months. Yeah, it wasn't or... wasn't kind of yeah straight away, but maybe maybe reasonably quick though, reasonably quick. You know, maybe a month or two. Right. And uh, he didn't have like massive health problems, but he had you know getting towards pre-diabetes and so forth. And uh, and I still kind of couldn't accept this was this was a thing. Um, and then I actually came across then I went to the low carb down under conference. Uh, last year at the Gold Coast, and I heard Dr. Anthony oh, talk. Oh, lucky! He was so lucky to die. Yeah, I wanted and, to go. And he had this. Uh, he had this talk. Plants are trying to kill you, and uh, that's that's kind of how he says it. And and I saw the title, and I think, okay, I, I must go to this yeah, <laughs> this this lecture. You know, yeah. and I was running a bit late for whatever reason. I kind of was was panicking, like, oh, I can't, I can't miss this. This this is like this is golden. Um, and something just kind of clicked in me. Like now suddenly there was a doctor talking about carnivore. Back then I, I didn't know Dr. Berry, didn't know Dr. Baker, didn't know who Dr. Chafee was, you know, any of these other doctors, uh, Paul Saladino and so on in, in this space. Um, 
so something that just kind of clicked in me. It was like, okay, well, now there's a doctor talking about it. And the way that he's talking about it makes sense. Like, I know that you can't just go into the forest and eat random stuff off the ground. It will probably kill you. You can't yeah. just walk down the street and eat, eat a bush. Like, it's probably going to hurt you. Mm. Um, uh, plant toxins are, are real. Um, yeah, why don't I just take them out? Like, I've, I've done everything else. Like, I'm still addicted to sugar. I'm still addicted to food. I'm still yo-yo dieting. Let's try this. And so, right, okay, go home. All I'm eating is, is, is steak basically. And then within two days, I just felt, oh my God, yeah. unbelievable. I felt like a teenager again. Right. And I mean, I'm, I'm 38 and you know, people might be thinking, oh, he's only 38, but you know, when you're 38, kind of feeling like you're a 50 or 60 year old, that's not normal. You know, I think we should, even as 60 year olds, we should be feeling like teenagers still. I mean, technically mm-hmm. that's only middle-aged. Yeah. Um, and I just felt, I felt like a teenager again in, in every way. Um, just my energy was through the roof mentally. I was amazing. Uh, my wife was like, what the hell is going on with you? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I want to cook. I want to clean. I want to do the dishes. I want to tidy. I want to do the ironing. I want to just, I'm motivated. I'm just organized. And wow, for the first time in my life, you know, I'd always done the cooking, but the other bits of housework I was always a bit lazy on but now all of a sudden I was just doing it she didn't even have to lift a finger she she was loving it um of course, she, was like, yeah. she was like what what's going on and I'm like I'm, I'm doing this new diet and and she just said yeah okay yeah good like it's she, good she to was, have that support in your, your household isn't it yeah absolutely. you need it I, I asked her I said look are you are you cool with me doing this because this is out there and she said, basically, you know, to slightly paraphrase, well, you know, basically you're fat and unhealthy anyway. So nice. thanks wife. <laughs> oh, she loves me really. Um, yeah, she so, does. so, so, so why not? Like if it works great, if you don't feel good, you stop it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, cause she knows what I'm like. Otherwise she knows I'm addicted to sugar. She knows I can't moderate. So and and that that was that that was like almost five months ago now, and I've pretty much just felt amazing, you know, every day Thanks. since. So, what's have you has your sleep improved as well? Because often, oh, for sure, phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I, I mean, I was lucky. I never had any massive health problems. Um, that you know, you see some of these people talking about curing diabetes. They've lost like three hundred pounds of weight. Um, curing bipolar disease, curing cancer. I mean, all these things with the carnivore diet but you know, i never had any of those issues yeah, um, yeah. so i can't claim to to fix those but you know like everyone there were times where i just wouldn't sleep you know i was anxious maybe about the next day a bit stressed mind was racing you know gut issues i spoke about ibs and so on in one of my previous videos yeah, episodes um and and just the kind of the 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 motivation, the energy, the the mental well being, the drive to to be a good man, you know, all of these things just just absolutely wow. skyrocketed. Right. Mm. So you mentioned plant toxins. What are you? What would be your um, main ones to stay to steer clear of? People are wanting to steer clear of plant toxins. What do they need to watch mm. for? Well, I mean, personally for me, I found uh, two specific things that were causing me problems was garlic and black pepper. Uh, very interesting. Wow, interesting. Uh, yeah, causing me terrible, terrible thumb pain. Why thumb pain? I don't know. Thumb pain. 
thumping, but I had this both sides terrible and I just resigned myself to just having then arthritis for the rest of my life I'm only 38 yeah it was horrible but it was I just figured what my mom has it like it's probably genetic or something and it was to the point where I couldn't even lift weights like even like like oh yeah you couldn't hold it no I couldn't I couldn't grip it was too painful like a 10 kilo not even like we're not talking 50 kilos we're talking like 10 kilos I couldn't even properly grip it um and so I was like, well, like, what do I do here? Like, I can't really exercise and this is just disaster, but what can I do? And then I went carnivore and I was like, oh, hang on, my thumbs don't even hurt anymore. What, what the hell's up with this? I just noticed all of a sudden, like, yeah, just, just all gone. Of a sudden it wasn't there, right? There's something yeah. I was like, oh, there's now there's no pain. What's this? And then I ended up putting black pepper on some uh, eggs, I think it was. And I was just like, oh my God, my thumbs are on fire. What is going on here? Mm, and then gosh. I realized well, the, the only thing I've put back in is black pepper. So black and um, white. And then the same, to be fair, I haven't tried, I haven't tried uh, white pepper, but it's meant to be a low oxalate uh, compared to black pepper, which is high oxalate. And we'll talk about that. Um, And then garlic separately seemed to cause me the same issue. Now I would have never have known that those two things were an issue separately if I'd not gone carnivore. Because of course, maybe I would have gone without black pepper, but then garlic would have still been there because I, yeah. I put these on on everything i mean i was obsessed with garlic and black pepper and cayenne pepper as well that also causes me terrible heartburn mm. um i never would have known because i was still eating the other two or three of these things um so taking them all out then allowed me to work out what is actually causing me a problem and mm-hmm. that's what i think carnivore is great for is really just that that true elimination diet um so i mean to answer your question sorry i kind of went off on a, on a that's all right there. it's fine um i mean certainly one of the bigger ones that i'm finding myself talking to people about lately is, is oxalates yeah it's big um, isn't it absolutely oxalates are a, a real issue uh, as far as a plant toxin is concerned and there is debate out there uh, as to the um severity of this and how much issue these these can cause you know what i often say to my patients is is anyone that works in this kind of space will tell you these are disastrous. That's anyone what I've that, heard. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone that doesn't work in this space that's just generically saying oxalates, whatever, will sell, will tell you that, oh, they're not really that bad. Don't don't worry about them. Um, and I think it's similar for things like lectins. Of course, we know people like Dr. Gundry. Uh, people probably know and have heard of Dr. Gundry. Um, yep. he's he's all about the lectins uh, as well. Uh, he's had a hang hang his hat on lectins there. Um, we know these can cause issues as well. Um, so, I mean, examples of lectins, of course, you know, kidney beans full of lectins. Yes. Um, oh, yes. You, That's terrible. If you go and eat, eat raw kidney beans, you know, you've, you've got a risk of, of serious, severe illness and possibly Absolutely. death. Absolutely. Raw, raw kidney beans, um, yeah. even even just, you know, slightly undercooked, they can cause severe GI upset. And we don't know this. We don't know this as a general yeah. population. We don't know this. Well, we, we 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 do in a way because I mean I think a lot of people know if you just go and eat raw kidney beans they're they're not good for you you have to cook them, but the messaging there is well if you cook them they're fine, yeah. But that's actually not the case because you don't get rid of all of these plant toxins okay. you don't get rid yeah. of all of the lectins so they can still cause some issue and lectins are certainly you know, implicated in things like uh, leaky gut syndrome, you know, severe bowel issues, IBS for sure. And there's even people talking about them, uh, you know, potentially implicated in cardiovascular disease, stroke, cancer, you know, you name it. 
Um, oxalates are, are a huge problem as well. Of course, we spoke about that. Spinach is probably the biggest one there, you know, spinach, kale. And we all have it on our uh, breakfast, steamed spinach yeah. to start the day. Yeah. Know, spinach, kale, Swiss chard, you know, beet, all these things, you know, people are then juicing them and and then getting the the absolute full force of these oxalates you know raw raw oxalates and it's just disastrous for the body um if you cook them so you cook your spinach it does reduce them significantly but it still doesn't get rid of them entirely yeah and and i would argue a poison is a poison you know do we want any poison Mm -hmm. maybe a little bit's not going to harm us that much but still a poison at the end of the day you know, it's if true. an insect goes and takes a bite of, bite of a spinach, it will die because the oxalates just overwhelm its nervous system. Well, most are um, medications. We're bigger, we can manage, but yes. do, do we want to manage? That's the question. But most medications are derived from plants, aren't they? You know, all the pharmaceutical they drugs, they're all derived from plants. So they do have an effect on us either oh, way. They do. Yeah, they, they do. do. They do. Absolutely, yeah. You mentioned having a sugar... Um, addiction I, I can fall into that category as well because and I think it's probably fair to say that a large percentage of the population could fall into that hat because it's yeah. just everywhere isn't it oh, so it how would you is. how did you overcome that um I would say I haven't yeah uh, right. I know it. what the feeling Actually, I know that feeling yeah yeah um I think it would be disingenuous of me to say that I have overcome that um I think I'll always be a sugar addict I just, I, yeah, I'm a reformed sugar addict. I was listening to, uh, I think it was maybe Dr. Baker's podcast, the Rivera podcast. I can't remember the guest name now. I apologize if, if this person's listening at all. Um, and, uh, you know, he was saying that as an alcoholic, you know, you're never not an alcoholic. You're just an alcoholic without a drink in your hand. Yeah, um, right. And and that I think is like me for sugar, you know, that that if I haven't got sugar in my hand, I'm fine. You know, the moment I put that into my body, there's there's going to be a problem. Um, but it's very hard, very hard because sugar's everywhere. Mm. It's it's mm. in everything. And you know, I was having this conversation with a patient today about sugar addiction, and you know, we were we were musing on it, and, and we were saying, you know, it's everywhere, and yeah, it's also socially acceptable. Yes. Uh, you know, yes. and this patient I was speaking to today, you know, he's got, he's got, uh, uh, basically, you know, diabetes and he's trying hard. He's trying carnivore. Yeah. You know, after work, his mates are just, oh, let's, let's go for an ice cream. You know, it's been a hot day. Wow. And, so and, and it, he's just like, oh, you know, I know I shouldn't, but okay, fine. You know, one bit won't, won't hurt me, you know, but if that was, if that was, uh, cocaine, if that was meth, you know, and I'm certainly not advocating for that, but you know, like that would be socially unacceptable to say, oh, now we've clocked off work. Let's go for a bit of meth, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. For sugar, it's, 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 it's standard. It's Cause it's as addictive, fine. it's as addictive as those hardcore drugs, isn't it? Well, certainly there's, 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 there's rat studies and my studies that have shown that yes, it's more addictive actually than, 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 than cocaine, wow. uh, which yeah. is, which is crazy, but it's a socially acceptable drug. And it's a drug that is pushed on us. Uh, it's a drug that is marketed to us, you know, it's on the TV yes. Um, can you imagine cocaine being on the TV, being marketed to people, you know, and it's in and, the shops. And, and sugar's and, sneaky you know? because it's in, you know, if you eat white pasta or you eat white bread yeah. or you eat rice yeah. or you eat it's, sweet potatoes, it all it, turns yeah. to sugar. So I think people yeah. are stuck with the concept of the white sugar grain. You yeah. know, that's how they view sugar. But really it's 
anything that you eat that's a carbohydrate will, yeah, you know, become sugar in your gut. Yeah, basically, it's pretty much all all all, all carbohydrates. Pretty much all there. of them. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But you know, it's also there's just predatory marketing. Oh, know, absolutely. Like we went to the supermarket on the way back from work to pick up some stuff for the kids and uh, for the school lunches. And, you know, it's just like every aisle is just this super bright, colorful, buy me, buy me. Or they're always on special. That's only the place where they're special. It's cheap they're as chips. Always. They're always cheap it's sugar so foods. So cheap. And then you finally get around the store and then you get to the checkout. And you're like, oh, thank God, you know. And then what's there yeah, at the we're checkout? Out there. Sugar. There's sugar at the checkout. Oh, you know, there come, is. On, come on, buy these gums and these these Mars bars, and you know, you're like these. It's just you're bombarded with this with this advertising, um, oh. and it's just, it's just predatory. And they know that these foods are addictive. They know that mm-hmm. they're unhealthy. Yeah, it is. They just they market them, and you know, I think the retailers have have a role in that, to be honest, as well, because they're the ones that are putting it by the checkouts. Knowing so the sugar tax. Because sugar tax it. that gets dished about in the media from time to time might make and might make a difference eventually. It, it, it might. Uh, might bring is, an awareness. Is, it, it might bring an awareness. I mean, this is this is touted as a as a potential fix. I mean, you know, on one side, people argue, of course, that uh, people should have free choice to do what they like, um, and we should be educating rather than punishing. Um, other people argue that all it does is punish uh, people on low income who who uh, you know need those kind of uh, uh, carbohydrate food pastas and breads and and so forth, which I can somewhat understand, of course. Um, and others, of course, argue well if anyone can afford it, they're not going to care if it costs another twenty cents. They're still going to they're still going to buy it. Um, I disagree with the notion though that it's cheaper to buy, you know, poorly nutritious carbs. I do when too. you actually, and we, we spoke about this on when you came on to my show. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, when you look at the nutrition, uh, pound, you know, pound for pound, so to speak, um, you know, meat and animal based nutrition is so much more nutritious for the cost rather than just. And you an don't empty, eat so much. An empty packet. You don't yeah. eat as much. It's far more nutritious. And okay, you might get fewer calories, but calories is not all that matters. You know, nutrition matters more than, than mm. calories. It sure does. And, and people need to be, you know, shown that you can actually buy cheap animal-based products, especially if you're working in the in the specials. Um, and sometimes they do they do they do appear. Um, and you don't have to always go for those those cheaper things. But that is a criticism of the sugar taxes. It unfairly penalizes people on on low income. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. And it's also drinks. You know, people drink fruit juice like it's that pure fructose. Oh, yeah sugary yeah. little event going into your body and little kids drinking fruit juices oh it makes absolutely. me cry makes me sad well of course these are marketed as as being healthy because it's this fruit it's a fight one of your five a day i mean five a day is totally bogus anyway i mean that's not evidence-based there's nothing evidence-based about five a day it's just again a, a catchphrase that seemed seemed like a good idea yeah um and, and how can you know some sugary drink you look at the ingredients it's like one percent real orange or something it's like yeah, this is not true. True. this is not that's a five true. a day like, it's not even orange juice it's just colored yeah literally <laughs> like, it's just it's just orange juice like it's not orange juice so one of the ways that people um try and get themselves off sugar is to use things like monk fruits erythritols um one of the mm. other ones stevia so you yes. were mentioning that you've just been looking at 
erythritol particularly. What what can you share today yeah. if you have yeah, some info so for us? Yeah, absolutely. So I was just in the in the process of writing up another episode for my podcast on erythritol because it's been in the news recently. It um, has, and, and this is all because there was a study that was published very recently in uh, in Nature Medicine uh, Journal. Uh, I think last last month, I believe February. So it's very it's very topical. Um, basically, saying that erythritol may not be as good as we think. Um, right. So uh, yeah, erythritol is widely being held as a kind of a a savior. Of, yes. of, of sweeteners like, you know like a stepping stone i always think of it as well that's that's one thing that's certainly a criticism that i would have is a stepping stone into sugar addiction um mm. because you know the the kind of the older advice is that erythritol doesn't raise glucose it doesn't raise blood glucose doesn't that's raise right. blood insulin and therefore yeah. it doesn't contribute to diabetes therefore as a replacement for sugar lowers cardiovascular risk because we're not having glucose rising or insulin rising. Now, I think that's slightly disingenuous to say that erythritol lowers cardiovascular risk, because that's, as far as I know, never been studied as an end point. Uh, it's just simply just, we're not, yeah. we're not giving sugar, therefore we're lowering cardiovascular risk. But if you just don't eat sugar, well, you're lowering cardiovascular risk anyway. So erythritol versus nothing, as far as I know, hasn't been studied. Um, so this study came out. And it basically said they looked at just over 4,000 patients um, across three cohorts, and they found that the risk of cardiovascular, uh, poor cardiovascular outcomes was significantly increased. Um, right. There has been a criticism, though, of this paper. Um, one of the criticisms is that it was quite weak data, that there was not many patients. 4,000 patients is not a lot. And another criticism that, that certainly I had when I looked into this was they only used a single one-off uh, blood measurement for erythritol as, oh. a, as, a, as a marker of how much erythritol people were consuming. Um, so if it was elevated, then they went, they followed them on to then look at what happened down the line. So we don't know if they carried on eating erythritol. We don't know how long they'd been eating erythritol for. Right. And uh, we don't know if they had stopped, then what the changes would have been and, and so forth. And so, what other lifestyle factors influence exactly. those blood they, tests? Yeah. They didn't really mention that much of that. So it was, it was, this, this paper has been kind of criticized. It's not particularly robust. Um, I think what it does do, though, is, is it raises the question is, are these kind of artificial sweeteners safe for people? Safe. And, yeah. and just because it doesn't maybe raise the blood glucose, that's not enough, I think, to say, these things are actually safe. Uh, and of course, we know sweetness is addictive. We know yes. that. And so yes. it's likely to then lead to poorer health choices and so on. And that's the thing uh, that's often hidden from these kind of studies is, is the, the knock-on effects there. Um, what they did conclude, and I think was relatively accurate on looking at the paper, was erythritol is associated with a higher cardiovascular risk. And right. they said purely erythritol increases the risk of thrombus formation in, right. in vitro, basically, yeah, yeah. which means purely directly erythritol can increase your risk of stroke and cardiovascular risk. That's... How much and for how long, we don't we don't know. Yeah. But yeah. the likelihood is that, yes, consumption of erythritol probably does, does actually increase your risk. The same as sugar or has that not been? That wasn't studied. 
again so yeah yeah. so we're just this is the way nutritional science works nowadays we don't have those randomized control trials we don't have those head-to-head double blind you know studies and so on a lot of it is on epidemiological studies um and uh, and the authors of this paper again uh, yeah i feel like they'll be i I feel like i agree with the point they were trying to make yes erythritol is not good yeah i think they're attracting criticism because the way that they've done the, the research in the paper you know they basically criticize other people for doing epidemiological studies uh which we know are relatively low evidence but then they've basically said well we just assume essentially that a one-off erythritol result is indicative of what they've been doing for their whole life or the rest of their life which is a is a big assumption to make um, oh. and that i think is a criticism so i think they could have asked people a bit better you know what have you eaten in the past what are you still eating and and so forth. They would have given it a, maybe a little bit more credence there. But um, it's interesting that you mentioned stevia, monk fruit, and so on. So when I was looking into this, you know, people, I yeah. didn't even realize this. Um, the majority of stevia products on the market, because stevia is is not an ingredient necessarily in and of itself. No. Um, and neither okay. is monk fruit, apparently. Um, the majority of stevia and monk fruit products or containing products, actually the majority of that is erythritol. Oh, truly! Wow, which, which I didn't even know. We've been fooled. It's like I don't it's know. like they say: be careful of the olive oil you buy because it's washed with vegetable oil sometimes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Gee, where's that's, that's that's amazing. Rancid and, yeah, so yeah. probably the majority, or at least a large proportion, anyway, uh, was I couldn't get an actual percentage, but uh, is actually erythritol, right. basically in disguise. Um, but erythritol's uh, it's funny because it's 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 natural but it's also yes. artificial. So it's a really bizarre yeah. kind of substance. It naturally occurs in some fruits, but often relatively low concentrations. It actually is produced in the human body, but very low concentrations. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, the the typical amount in these products is about a thousand times, you know, the endogenous production in the human body, uh, far more than you're going to get naturally occurring in fruits and so on. As so, well, so if you're trying to make it, treaty birthday cake for someone <laughs> are you better to use just normal sugar or half the yeah. sugar and eat the wheat and not use the almond meal i don't know That's i mean the question I, I keep asking myself yeah we don't know the answer because that, that that hasn't been studied but i honestly feel that we're probably better off eating the sugar than we are eating these artificial sweeteners like so, um, yeah. because they're not they're not washed in chemicals they're not made in a lab you know, mm. nature has been evolving for hundreds of millions of years, and we have been evolving with it. And we have evolved some form of defense or whatever you want to call it against eating mm. these kinds of foods um, in its natural form, because we would have at some point. And if it gave us a problem, we would have died out. So, but with these chemicals, like, no, we don't. We haven't evolved to eat chemicals. These are these are all no, artificial exactly. manufacturing. Yeah. And, and wow. we're messing, we're messing with stuff. We messing don't know with... how these things affect the gut microbiome no. and so on as well. We know things like erythritol can cause severe abdominal cramps, bloating, diarrhea, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's yeah. always that warning, isn't yeah. there? Don't eat too so many of these. <laughs> I, I mean, the first thing I would say to people is, well, don't eat the sugar, don't eat the sweeteners. Yeah. If you absolutely have to, you're probably better off going with the natural, with the natural substance. Gen- yeah. Genuinely natural, you know, stuff. In its most unadulterated form, yeah. is what I would what I would normally say to people. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I think for me, anyway, 
you know, my whole family is not a carnivore family. I'm eating more, way more meat and way less vegetables than I was even a week ago. It's changing all the time for me. The more I feel better, the less I want to eat the vegetables. Um, but when you're out at a birthday party or, a, you know, a 60th wedding anniversary or something and everyone's got their little bit of cake, I do let myself have a little bit of cake. I have a little tiny bit, but, you know, maybe that will change. We can't be perfect. We we can't be perfect twenty four seven. People, right? Yeah. We don't. We don't need to throw away the good for the perfect. You know. Uh, Yeah, because it's the social uh, aspect, I guess, which is always a always a touching point, isn't it? There is. There is. There is. There is a social point with food, and and food, of course, you know, we celebrate with food. We commiserate with food. Uh, Yeah. Every every emotion we we involve food. Um, You know, I, I I went to brunch the other day actually with my family, and I just didn't eat because there was nothing on there that I wanted to eat. Ah. And, uh, and um, you know, it's it wasn't weird, actually. No, I have done it was, that. It was weird it that it wasn't weird. weird. It? Yeah. It's not it was weird. weird. Weird that it wasn't weird, and nobody cared. Like, no. the, like the, the waiting staff didn't care. The, you know, the, the people on table didn't care. Um, my kids didn't care. Like, I was just having a drink of water, just talking, conversing. Everyone was happy. Everyone was happy and it was okay. Yeah, you didn't feel yeah. you didn't feel like the odd man out. No. You were all right. Didn't at all, no. So sugar addiction is a huge, big problem in the world. We know this. We're all we're all probably guilty of of being in that pool of people. But of all the patients that you can't that you see that come to you, are you able to share what percentage would have a pre-diabetes? Like is it is it always every day that you see a new person or is it once a week or how does mm. that how does that work? Yeah, I mean, most 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 days I see a new patient, um, and most of those you know new patients are often people who have you know, health issues that have sought me out, um, either for the functional side or the metabolic you know side of things. Um, actual pre-diabetes, um, not super common actually. Oh, um, more more common than it used to be. Definitely, yes, yes. definitely, yes. definitely. In younger people common. or. Yeah. Older, younger people. Definitely younger people, but also older as well. Um, The range is just just getting really, really big. Yeah. Um, Because diabetes always used to be a kind of like, oh, if you were were like 40 and then you either got diabetes or you kind of just just didn't. Um, Whereas now, like I'm I'm seeing new diagnoses of diabetes in 60-year-olds, 70-year-olds, 80, 80, 90-year-olds, yeah, type 2 diabetes. Um, But also younger, younger people as well. Um, but what I see in almost every single patient is what I call pre pre diabetes. So, you know, very high Ah. levels of insulin resistance, um, you know, basically metabolic syndrome. Yeah. Um, Okay. Yes. Yes. I, I probably diagnose like four people a day. True. Goodness. With metabolic syndrome. It's a big workload. It's off the chart. It's absolutely off the chart. And it's almost always the same, you know, it's, it's just, and it's the diet. So when someone walks in the door to visit you, a new patient, can you, and they've got a bit of metabolic problem, do they present physically just bigger people or a rounder waist or a puffy face or puffy ankles? Is there mm. all those high blood pressure? Is that what you look for? Yeah. What I mean, you it varies. See? It varies, of course, but um, typically, I mean, the typical stereotypical patient will be overweight. Uh, they'll have a high abdominal circumference um, and they will have a high blood pressure. 
they probably have dyslipidemia, so their triglycerides are off, their cholesterol uh, is up, yes. etc. And it's just this this kind of picture. Um, but almost always, symptoms wise, they've got fatigue, tiredness, joint pains. They yeah. just they feel old, older, maybe like 20, 30 years older than they should feel. Yeah. Um, they can't lose weight and often mental health issues as well. Yes. Anxiety, stress, yes. depression. Um, with Gosh, women, oh. it tends to be menstrual issues as well. Yeah. Um, men almost always it's it's erectile dysfunction. Yes. That's that's the number one thing. Gosh. Um I, I said it before, I'll say it again a thousand times. Sexual health really is a, a kind of an expression of metabolic health mm-hmm. yeah. it, it right. really really is so any man that's got erectile dysfunction erectile issues you know you've probably got metabolic syndrome yeah, basically yeah. Um, and, and you're you're not doing that well uh, any woman that's got issues with her periods you know regular periods very heavy painful periods again there's likely to be an issue um, not every single time but mm likely generally a good general rule of thumb Mm. so what Mm. how do you um advise those people on diet are you able to share what you would say if you just talk to them about carbohydrates or do you go into the whole meat thing or what's your Uh, what's your stance yeah i mean i i tell patients that i do a carnival diet and if they want to discuss that, then we can. Um, obviously, if I'm seeing a vegetarian or vegan patient, they may not want to yeah. discuss that. And that's totally cool. That's fine. I don't try and convert people no, in no. my consultation no, no. room. No. Um, but I like to give them all of the options, you know, and I speak to them about, um, I give them, you know, like a sheet that I that I print out that gives them all the options of ways that we can treat it. Um, and I look at their zinc levels, for example, zinc is extremely important with metabolic syndrome. Um, yeah. Look at their zinc levels. Then we look at their testosterone, you know, typically for men, women, we might do hormonal assays as well, although they're not quite as useful typically. Their insulin resistance, their glucose levels, triglycerides, et cetera. And I just, I give them a sheet of, okay, these are all the individual steps that we can take, but you don't have to do every single one. Yeah. If you do, you'll be incredibly well and healthy. You'll get better quicker mm. and you'll get better easier, but it might be a bit more work for you. You know, where do you think you lie on this scale, basically? Yeah. Yeah. And some of them just go straight in. I want to do everything. I want to be healthy. You know, it terrifies me to have diabetes and so on. Others, yeah. they they really hesitant and they need, they need coaching, you know, in, into that. So I don't go in hot and heavy with people. I just give them all well, the Well, you options. can't because people have yeah. to make their mind up for themselves, don't they? That's what I've found. Absolutely, they do. So I don't go in hot and heavy. I just give them all the options. And I don't usually do really that much on that first appointment i just say right these are all the options these are all some research things you can look at go and absorb yes go and read go and learn come back to me in a couple of weeks we will talk more you'll be more ready to make that change you'll be more informed you can then absorb this information and tell me how you want to proceed Mm -mm. and we will do whatever we can do to help you and, you know, my, my kind of tagline really is, you know, I can, I can open the door for you, but I can't yeah. walk through it for you. Yeah. 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 yeah but yeah. I can I walk through it with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think they kind of get that. Okay. Yes. It's me that needs to make the change, but they, that I will help them on that journey. And do you see lots of people making the change? Do you see good improvements in relatively short periods of time? Absolutely. It depends. I mean, the more they do. 
the more benefit you know you can get yeah yeah um i mean i had one patient who basically cured himself of, of terrible type 2 diabetes within two months True. Um, wow. Just, wow. His HPA1C was like 10.6 and it came down to 5.5.6. Oh, goodness. In, in about two months. Yeah. Um, and I didn't even do that much with him. I just had one appointment. He said, Right, I'm doing it. <laughs> I'll come back in three months. I'm coming and back. He, I'm he, doing this. And, he, and he did it. He did yeah. it, basically. And it was like, Okay, I didn't even have to do anything. Yeah. Um, but uh, others, they, they do need coaching. But yeah, people are generally very keen to, mm-hmm. to do it. Um, and it's very interesting because I do talk to them about, about the zero carb. I call it zero carb. Yes. I call it zero carb, uh, otherwise known as carnivore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you just say okay. carnivore straight off, people go, Oh, okay. What's they get that? a bit it's a bit of a freaky idea. Yeah. Let's be honest. It it's a bit of a weird idea. It's like what it's do you totally. mean when you first say it to people that look at you like you're an alien? Yeah. I know, totally. But that's yeah. when I think it helps that I say what well, I do it. Yeah. And you can Especially kind of see, they, you. yeah, yeah. They they kind of when you say it, they go, oh, and then and then you say, well, I do it actually, and it's amazing, and they go, oh, really? And they, yeah, they kind and of you can intrigued. see their body language, they 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 lean into you, and you can see they're actually oh, intrigued, and okay. then you can kind of okay, well, do you want to talk about it? And they go, oh yeah, I just want to eat meat. Yeah, fantastic, I'll do that. Others, of course, they they struggle a bit more with that idea, and so we meet them where they're at, you know, low carb keto and so forth. I don't yep. force anyone to do anything. Can you speak about what HbA1c means? Because I think some of our listeners might not understand what that test and insulin resistance test, what they might show sure, to a patient. Because those numbers, when you get them, they're pretty, they're there. You can't discount them. But what do they mean? Yeah, so HbA1c is a measure of what we call glycosylated hemoglobin or glycated hemoglobin. Um, and basically the hemoglobin molecules are what carries around the oxygen in our red blood cells. New blood, yep. Uh, and the sugar basically gly- oops, sorry, glycates this hemoglobin. Uh, very interestingly, fructose doesn't seem to affect HbA1c, which is very interesting. Right, but it, yeah. But it can affect insulin resistance. Um, so HbA1c is what's typically used nowadays to either diagnose diabetes or to monitor diabetes. Right. Um the problem with HbA1c, and this is a difficult concept for some people to understand, is you can have a very good HbA1c, but bad diabetes. Truly, now, truly, can you? I'll, wow, I'll ex- I didn't I'll explain know what that. I mean, because there's probably going to be people going, "What the hell is this guy on about?" No, you can't. That's not what it is. Well, what I mean by that is really in a holistic sense. So, if you give the person, you give the patient, just whack them on a load of insulin. Right, you control. You put them on a sliding scale insulin, and you control that blood glucose within an inch of their life. Their HbA1c will be amazing, but their diabetes, their insulin resistance, will be through the roof. Ah. Oh. Their cardiovascular risk will probably be very high. Gosh. Their their you know pancreas will probably be shot, and their risk of things like cancer because insulin is the biggest growth factor that we have yes. in our body, yes. and we know patients injecting insulin have a much higher risk of cancer. Goodness. So then you can have a good HbA1c, but as a whole, the patient is actually worse off. If so they're using the insulin. Yeah. Good, good HbA1c, bad diabetes. Now, insulin is just one example, of course. And some people do genuinely need insulin. I don't want anyone to go and stop their insulin. No, no, no. Yeah, 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 for without, sure. Yes. Without medical supervision. Um, but yeah, HbA1c is not the only marker, of course, that we really should be looking at. We should be looking at people's overall health. Um, and this is where other things like the waist circumference, the blood pressure, 
you know, for mm-hmm. example. Um, and you can put people on as many tablets as you like. You're never going to cure type two diabetes without a proper diet. It's just no. not going to happen. Yeah, you, you, you really just can't. You can control it, but again, you can still have these processes going on in the background. Um, effectively, you know, the more sugar you eat, the higher HbA1c will go, because the more your your more your your glucose is going to be higher in your blood. Um, there's other things that can affect it. I mean, for example, today I had a patient whose HbA1c was quite high, yet their fasting glucose was very good. And, right. you know, the, they, they couldn't work out why. And I said, well, probably because you're anemic. And actually that can raise oh, the HbA1c yeah. artificially. So there's other things that can contribute to this issue. So you can't really check it in people you with check sickle the whole, cell the whole, disease, for example, yeah. and so on. Um, but then there's this concept of insulin resistance. Um, and insulin resistance is effectively, you know, people talk about it like two sides of one coin, hyperinsulinemia, so very high insulin levels, and then resistance to that insulin. Um, and it's a funny thing within the body, and some parts of the body seem to become very hyper-responsive to the insulin. Um, yeah. Of course, your fat cells, yeah, great. Um, yeah, great, I know, right. put on lots of weight. Uh, although, interestingly, they can become actually uh, very non-responsive down the line, which is very interesting. Um, other parts become non-responsive and resistant. Uh, to the insulin as well. Um, Insulin resistance can be measured in a couple of ways. Uh, There is a very complicated thing called a euglycemic clamp test. uh, Uh, Yes, sounds very complicated. (laughs) It's it's a a research thing. It's actually quite dangerous because you have to starve people, I think, for like 24 hours, then give them insulin infusions, drive their sugar down, then give them sugar boluses. Like it's just really never done because it's it's actually dangerous, Um, but it is the gold standard. Other people have tried to do things like the craft test where you do, it's yes. like a glucose tolerance uh, test, but, yeah, yeah. but a bit a different regimen and so forth. Um, what most people do nowadays is what we call the uh, HOMA IR score, HOMA IR test. And it's a relatively simple, it's a fasting glucose, fasting insulin, put yes. them into a calculator and it gives you an insulin resistance score. And it's pretty well validated for most people. Um, and it gives you just a good indication of potential insulin resistance um but insulin resistance causes a lot of the problems that diabetes causes and of course type 2 diabetes is really the end stage of insulin resistance Um, but insulin resistance can cause all of those problems we teach in medical school you know diabetes heart disease kidney disease you know nerve problems erectile dysfunction sensory issues all these things insulin resistance can cause all those things as well yeah maybe not to this extent but they can definitely cause them. And so that's why things like, you know, if any man presenting with erectile dysfunction until proven otherwise, they've basically got insulin resistance syndrome mm-hmm. and metabolic syndrome. Yeah. It's just there, isn't it? Just there. Yeah, basically. Wow. So, so much knowledge coming out of you today. <laughs> so I just wanted to quickly have a chat because I know you'd put on your socials just that you were doing the ribeye test or mm. you're eating just ribeyes. How's that feeling? And how did you come to settle on just the ribeyes? Yeah, you know, so, particularly. Yeah, so basically, I wanted to kind of do this experiment, and people were asking me like, "Why the hell are you just eating ribeye steaks? Like, you know, what's going on here?" And I said, "Well, you know, I found out over the last four and a half to five months that ribeye steaks just make me feel the best. Uh, hard right. to explain. I just feel the best mentally. I feel the best physically after eating them compared to any other cut of meat, whether it's beef, lamb, chicken, whatever." Um, I snack less, I feel less hungry, Right. I feel more motivated and I sleep better. 
and I just oh. want to work out and exercise. Uh, uh, and, good. and I just don't feel as hungry even eating because people are probably oh you know ribeyes are quite big well yeah they are but even if I eat say like like a kilo of chuck or half a kilo of ribeye and they're about the same in terms of the macros protein fat both about 50 50 by grams um you know 25 75 roughly by calories mm. I just I just feel less hungry when I eat the ribeyes is the ribeye a bit more fattier is that a is that a scotch fillet so a, so a scotch fillet is is a rib fillet um, with the bone. Yeah. So so rib fillet is technically without the bone. Rib without eye the is bone. with the bone. The bone, um, right? They're, they're meant to be the same, effectively the same cut. But I personally just find rib eyes tastier. I don't know why. Tastier. Maybe no, it's a psychological thing on the just bone. Just for you, your microbiome's going. Yes, please but eat that. I I just find them. It's technically supposed to be the same, but I, technically I I just find it I find it better. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because even if I eat half of what I would say the chuck, and it chucks exactly the same amount of fat, I still just feel better mm-hmm. on the ribeye, and I feel on less hungry. So like chuck steaks chuck, more in I'll, my I'll mind is. Ah, and... oh, sorry. Yeah. Cut, no, I cut quite the no, no, that's okay. So um, chuck I, steak in yeah. my mind is um, more that you use in a slow cook, like a curry, or yes. isn't it more like that? But you wouldn't Correct. put it in a curry. You would just cook it in the pan or just, how do you just slow roast it yeah just braise it basically just slow roast it over maybe two three hours depending on the thickness and you know and so, and so do you bite in a steak chuck steak not chopped no i i, I call it chuck steak but it's just it's a ah, roast basically oh, um, i know what you mean i've got that in my freezer yeah yeah, yeah. i know yeah, what you mean so, i see so it in my mind yeah lately we've been buying the ones from Woolworths just because it's a little bit cheaper and it's just like a flat kind of cut so we yeah we just whack it in the air fry on a low heat for like an hour and then and then just eat it and it's it's really Delicious. nice but with butter um uh, no i just eat it as it is basically yeah um yeah. but i yeah i just find the ribeyes the best so i wanted to kind of take this and just explore it and say right okay like what happens if i just eat just ribeye because i feel the best on it will i stop feeling the best at some point yeah right um what will, your what body will go... actually happen yeah will my body say please actually can you eat something different yeah. Um, I mean, obviously I, I, you know, I can, I can share a little bit about my journey so far. So I've been doing this now since pretty much like two days before March. So uh, it's 9th of March today. So it's about 11 days I've been doing this now. 11 days. Yeah. Um, uh, pretty much just eating ribeye. I have been drinking a bit of bone broth as well. Um, yeah. but eating wise, purely, purely ribeye. And yeah, I'm definitely starting to crave some other food. <laughs> ah, true. Now you're thinking, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm, out nearly. I'm I'm definitely looking at like, oh, yeah, like some eggs or something would be quite good right now. Yeah. Uh, I'm sticking with the ribeyes because I just want to kind of see what happens. But um, I'm definitely starting to crave some other foods. I am definitely getting more deficient in my magnesium because right. I'm getting really bad cramps oh. again. Oh, okay. Um, so I've, I've noticed that is an issue. So I'm having to supplement magnesium now as well which I have done in the past anyway, but it's definitely hitting me. Is that um, at night time? Is that when you're asleep? It's, it, it's mainly at night, but it's during the day as well. Yeah, like I woke up at 3 a.m. the other day and just in agony. I had to yeah, just, I just, I've done just, that. I just ran straight into the bath, filled it with Salt. magnesium salts oh, and, and just kind of just jumped myself in the bath, you know, just to just to get some magnesium into me. Um, and, uh, and then afterwards when I got like a magnesium drink as well to top it up as well. Um, so that's definitely affected me there. Um, mentally, I feel amazing though, and I'm sleeping yeah. on the whole better. 
my energy levels are much better. You look bright. Uh, I look bright. Look Thank you. Bright. <laughs> uh, it's good considering I hardly got any sleep last night because my kids woke me up loads overnight. Um, and I've lost a lot of weight. I've actually lost like two kilos in oh. 10, 10, 11 days Gosh, okay. as well, um, which is nice and I'm pretty sure predominantly fat as well. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely starting to crave some other <laughs> yeah okay is the plan for a month or what was your plan or did you not have one i planned for 30 days just because i wanted to see what what happens basically 30 days is long enough to see what's going to happen not long enough that i'm going to cause myself any real harm yeah 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 Um, and i don't recommend anyone out there just goes and eats one single thing for the rest of their life because you will get some deficiencies i'm sure yeah yeah yeah. um but i just wanted to see what would happen and and how it actually went for me because i was starting to feel like yeah all i want is ribeyes so I yeah. thought, well, why not just try it and then just get a get it out of my system and b just well, what happens if I just Observe. eat ribeyes, and will I actually start to crave other foods? And I think the answer is, yeah, I am starting to want other food. That's, that's something you found out. So you do see people on telehealth. How do they actually get in touch with you if they'd like to have a consultation? Because we're Correct, in WA, yeah. you're in Queensland. Absolutely, yeah. So they can get in touch with me through my website, um, so drsresh.com.au, or yep. they can get in touch with me through my my social media, of course. Oh, um, yes. Got, yeah, so I've got links on links on my podcast uh, and things as well. So the meatmedic.com oh, the meat is, my, medic, yes. is my podcast, and there's links to my social and the link tree and things on there as well. That's a cool name, the um, Meat Medic. I like it. Yeah, thank you. I, I came up with it. Um, I was actually originally going to do two podcasts when I started this. I'm glad I didn't because it's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, one was going to be called Quest for Health, which was just like a generic kind of, you know, let's be healthy kind of podcast. And then the other one was going to be The Meat Medic, which was about yeah. carnivore life. And then I just kind of, I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to merge them because it's basically the same thing. And The Meat Medic, yeah. I thought, was just a little bit more more catchy. Yeah, it's um, quite um gritty so, with a bit of grit to it, you know, like a little, the meat a little bit. Yeah, I like it. So powerful. So I thought I thought it was quite catchy. And so I'm on social media, you know, all my social pretty much is at, at the meat medic. Um, apart from Facebook, it's at uh, Dr. Suresh Kawodka. But yeah, the meatmedic.com, uh, if people want to go there, they can find me and I do telehealth either through the clinics or out of hours private telehealth as well. Mm-mm. Good work. Good job. You're doing amazing work. Really, truly you are. Trying. We need more of you. We need more people like you. Um, and you've you've actually mentioned before that your kids are pretty eating are eating more meat than, hmm. and you've noticed a difference. Yeah, in your kids, in their absolutely health and wellness. Absolutely, yeah. So they're eating predominantly animal based nutrition now. Yeah, um, they're not they're not full carnivore. Um, they're they're quite young, so between two and seven. Yeah. So. yeah. Uh, we, we try and let them eat fairly intuitively. Um, you know, so if they, if they want a carrot, they go and get a carrot, you know, if they want a piece of broccoli, whatever, they go get a broccoli. Uh, if they want an orange to get an orange, um, if they want the meat, they want the meat, you know, and we, we figure, well, if I follow that, you know, and I think that works and I think that's good for them, but they're eating a lot more meat, a lot more fat than they're used to. And yeah, we've noticed definitely their sleep's improved. Their behavior on the whole has improved um their mental clarity is improved their mental are they school age are they school, the school age, age. Yeah. yeah so yeah. one of them's one okay. of them's in daycare two of them are in school but yeah. um they're they're like just reading writing everything's improved 
uh, dramatically. Uh, the end of school year slump just disappeared last year. As soon as we went on to a more meat-based diet, that school slump just disappeared. Overnight. It's satiating, isn't it? Satiating yeah, in your body that's in it. a way that... Yeah, um, but yeah. the school still wants them. You know, like we picked them up from daycare this afternoon. You know, they fed them like lamington cake, and you know, so uh, you can't, yeah, you can't control everything. But no. at the end of the day, like kids are going to be kids. You got to give them a yeah, little bit of this stuff. Otherwise, by the time they can eat it, then they're just going to go crazy on it. You know, we're trying to teach them good, good eating habits, and I don't yeah. think forcing yourself to go without anything is a is a good eating habit on the whole. Until you can understand what that food does to you, then it's your choice to go yeah, that yeah exactly um, exactly forcing people when they don't understand i don't think is good but then we tell them you know like well yeah your belly hurts because you ate all that cake no yeah yeah, yeah. you can kind of justify and yeah then you know what cake does to you maybe you don't want to eat it anymore and they, they do relatively self-regulate actually i think it's yeah. a pretty onto it with all of this they're more in tune with their bodies than what we are sometimes because they're still young they've still got their own yeah. mindset I think yeah. they absolutely are. And I've, I've said this to people before, you know, it makes you wonder why do, you know, very young kids refuse violently at times, refuse vegetables. Yeah. Um, is it because they're just naughty, which is the prevailing theory, I think. It's just, yes, what we all think, yes. Or, I mean, I don't think kids are born naughty, really. No, I mean, I or is it, so. is it that they inherently know that these things might not be good for them, um that they recognize these things are not not as nutritious as we might think they are that they recognize these are potentially toxic to them um because of course you know things like oxalates and broccoli and so i mean what kid really wants to eat broccoli peace like maybe a carrot sometimes it can be quite bitter they're a bit low oxalate you know but fruit generally they'll eat fruit because it's maybe less less toxic to them um but you know like if if we had a piece of broccoli we're we're a lot bigger a child is going to get hit a lot harder especially yes. if it's the first time they're eating it. And yeah. and they just they just look at it and they go, yeah, I'm not sure about this. And then they taste it and it's just straight away, like it's hit the wall. It's just out of their mouth. You know, maybe we should listen it's to it. It's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> it's when you introduce food to babies. Sometimes they just don't want that veg. They just spit yeah. it straight back out at you, don't yeah. they? And you give them a lamb chop and they'll just munch it. Yeah. Tastes good. Exactly. <laughs> you, give them, you give them a piece of like ribeye or something, they'll, they'll be happy all day. Let's chew um, on that. Exactly. But it raises the question. I mean, if 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 these things were so good for us, why would babies violently refuse them? Mm-mm-mm. It's um, crossing my mind a lot lately because I've mm. got a few little grandbabies and I watch them eating. I don't say anything or judge them or anything. So they're not my babies, but I watch what they choose off the mm. plates. It's generally the fruit and the meat. It's not the veg. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I will let you get on with your day. Thank you so much for your time. Have you got anything else to share, or you're you're all shared out? Uh, yeah. No. Not not really. I think uh, you know. I just would encourage anyone that's listening, anyone that's watching this, to you know think for themselves, basically. Yeah. Uh, and that's really my take home with with my patients, with anyone that I consult with, anyone that watches my videos and episodes and so on. Is is I just like people to think for themselves. I just want them to. Work out what works for them. Yes, work it's important. Out what causes them a problem. Work out what makes them feel good. And if they don't genuinely feel good, make a change. Because it's very easy to convince ourselves we feel good. Or when someone asks us, do we feel good? If we don't genuinely feel good, make a change, basically. Yeah. Oh, beautiful words. I like it. Thank you. All right. I will... Um... 
Thank you for speaking with us and sharing your knowledge. And I guess we'll chat again at some point because you're speaking at the Real Food, the Low Carb Roadshow in Queensland. Correct. Yeah. Aren't so you? 20th, I saw you there. Yeah. Yeah. 20th of May, uh, Low Carb Roadshow. I'll be talking on the uh, carnivore diet, zero carb. Really? Yes. Great. That's so really exciting. It's exciting. All right. We'll um, speak to you again. Yeah. No Thank problem. you. Thank, Thank you, Linda. Thank you.